Good morning. You have to bear with my voice. Is it coming through? Yep. <laughs> you have to bear with my voice this morning. I did too much screaming at a social netball match. Um, but part of my personality type is striving through at all costs. <laughs> so um, we'll give it a go. <laughs> so uh, Genesis 1, 24 to 31. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And the second reading is Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven, heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the seed was no more. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This is the word of the God, word of the Lord. Well, we're beginning our Advent series, and we're walking our way to a place of seeing Christ high and lifted up. Now, some of you might not be familiar with what Advent is about. And so let me just briefly give you some insight. Advent is that place where we're anticipating something. We're waiting on something to come. And so during this season leading up to what we celebrate as Christmas, there's a sense of waiting and anticipating for that celebration, for that recognition that Christ has come, that God became flesh. But at the same time, Advent causes us to look just a little bit further as well. It pushes us from the here and now and anticipating when God is going to make all things new as they always were. 
So during Advent, we're taking a little bit of this look of holding the both and. We're looking and saying, yes, we're moving towards Christmas and we're anticipating it. But we're also anticipating where all things will be made right again. We're also anticipating that time where God's restoration completely will be made known. And we will see it. And so our hearts sit in a place of longing. In Advent is a place of longing anticipation. Just like a, a little child waiting to see if they got the Christmas present that they wanted. We wait. We anticipate. We long. Even in that we might doubt that it even might take place. But it's a place of rest and a place of receiving and waiting. Now, this year, what we're going to be doing is telling the story of God. We're going to start at the beginning and we're going to move towards, well, not the end, but the restoration and the ongoing story of God. And so each Sunday, we're going to talk about joy and love and peace and faith. But we're also going to take time to talk about creation and the fall, sin that comes in and breaks creation. We're going to talk about redemption and what that looks like. And ultimately, we'll get to the place of talking about God's ultimate restoration. And so it's a story, a mega narrative that we're going to be seeing throughout this Advent season. And as you see elements come in to the chapel of our liturgical art, of our churchy art, you will see those things being revealed. So today it's creation. You see green vines and you see fruit that are being blossomed off of those things. And next week there'll be more. And the week after that there'll be more. All telling us the story, reminding us that we wait for Christ's birth, but more than anything, we wait for Christ to restore all things. I love stories. I'm excited about this series. I love reading stories. I love listening to stories. I love watching stories. One of my favorite stories to watch is called The Princess Bride. If you have boys, maybe you'll call it the saga of the Dread Pirate Roberts. That way they might actually get into it a little bit more. I particularly like how the story moves. And there's one character, Inigo Montoya, who is this sword fighter, but he doesn't start out that way. His father was a master sword maker who was then brutally murdered by a man with six fingers. And Inigo Montoya sets out to avenge that death, but he's an utter failure at it. And so instead of seeking people to help him after he had mastered himself to be a master swordsman and he could not quite find this man with six fingers, he turned to substances to relieve the pain. He became a drunk. And then one guy finds him, this incredible mind named Fezzik. And he says, I've got a job for you to do. And that's where we find them, doing this job. And it's the only time that Aninga Matoya, because he's failed so miserably at doing the thing that he thought he was supposed to do, finds purpose 
and that purpose is to start a war. It's, a, according to Fezzik, a, you know, a steamed occupation. But then Inigo encounters Wesley, or the dread pirate Roberts, and he's defeated. And we don't see him anymore in the movie till close to the end. And at the end, we see him drunk, out of his mind, with a sword in the, the place where all the ne'er-do-wells and ragamuffins and, and, and criminals reside. And the king is trying to clear that all out. And his good friend shows up. And he looks at him and he says, I've returned to the beginning. Fezzik said to go back to the beginning, and I'm at the beginning. And there's really no truer words spoken for Inigo Matoya at that moment. Because he's at the beginning of the end. At the bottom of the barrel. At the place where all desperation could be felt. He was at the beginning. And when we start looking at what creation is about... This thing that God does, he speaks into existence. We start at the beginning. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was all over the face of the deep. And if you're like me, perhaps in this time of anticipating and in this place of waiting, you look at the world around us and say, that seems oddly familiar. The world seems fairly chaotic. It seems like darkness is reigning and that there seems to be no purpose in what is happening. And Nigo Montoya was at the beginning <laughs> That place of utter desperation where there was no purpose or means. And it's at that moment, it's at that place, it's where the world resided. God says, let there be light. It's at that place, he says, I will push aside the chaos. I will reorder the vast nothingness. I will make it have purpose and meaning, and I will bring it about to something that is good. Here in this verse one, verse, or chapter 1, verses 24 through 31, we see the sum up of what had been going on and then the creation of man and woman. And then at the end of that, he says, this is very good. Lisa Sharon Harper, in her book, The Very Good Gospel, says, fiercely good, much good, overflowing with good. But words are different sometimes in places. In 2001, Jim Collins wrote a business book following up his major hit, called Building to Last. This new book was called From Good to Great. And he was talking about steps that companies can make to move from a place of being good to being great. Now the implication in that is that good is just not good enough. That there should be something better than good and that better is great. And that's what you should be attaining to. Not just good, but great. 
I think often we will hear things that are considered good. We might try a new restaurant and somebody will say, how was the food? And we'll go, yeah, it was good. Wasn't great. I mean, I'll go again. We might try, you know, a new coffee place and say, yeah, it was good. A little burnt. But it wasn't bad. Probably won't go back. We tend to equate goodness actually with mediocrity. Of a place that has room for improvement. Or, uh, in some cases, and I have found this to be the case in Australia, we never want to be necessarily great because then people might look at us. So good is just right. Let's aim for good because it gets us by. It does the things that we need to do and we can go without the unwanted recognition and praise or disdain that comes with being great. Now, I say that as an American where everything's great, <laughs> even if it's terrible, because we wouldn't want to tell the truth and let you know that things aren't going well. So when we look at the word good here, I think sometimes we can read it and go, yeah, but it's not great. So it might be good for us to look at what that word really is. That word tov or tov. And you can ask Stephen Rarig later how to actually say it. That Hebrew word that means good. But see, for them, it was much more than just mediocrity. That word is much more than just getting by. It's actually much more than great. It is all-encompassing, saying that things are the way things should be. Things are the way things were created to be. And it even goes beyond that. It, it says it's not just about the object. So man is good, and the birds are good, and the sea is good, and the earth is good, and the sky is good, and all of it is fiercely or very good. It's saying that all things are the way that I've designed them to be. They are created all together in a way that I have purposed them. And because of that, they are magnificent. And beyond the object, the way that they are interconnected and work with one another. The fact that they are in relationship with one another is part of that goodness. That had they been separated from one another, which does happen, by the way, that the goodness that is present in that relationship gets squelched, gets hurt. But in the beginning, when things were desperate and broken and chaotic, God speaks in and forms something that is fiercely good. Something that works in a way to show his glory and his might, but also runs in the way of relationship, just like he is formed. That place that says, I am Trinity, 
I am Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am in this dance of eternal, steadfast love within myself, and I will pour that out on creation so that they will have relationship one to another, not just human to human but us with plants and us with the dirt and us with... Now, be careful here. We're not elevating the earth to be worshipped because what we're saying is that it shows us how fiercely good the Father is. That He is the one in all of His goodness pours it out on us so that we can know, Tov, this fiercely good that sprang forth out of chaos and brokenness. So what does that mean for us? What's that place for us to rest in that, to, to know it to be true? If, if we're telling the story of anticipating and waiting, and we want to begin in the beginning where there is this fierce goodness that comes about that is not just new, but is transforming, then it shows us that we who are created as humans are created for that fierce goodness. Which goes on to show us what that means. You see, God here says among himself, let's create man and woman in our image so that they will bear forth. So the first thing that we know about us is that in this fierce goodness, you have been created in God's image. So that no matter how chaotic, no matter how, how broken the world is right now, and it can be very broken and chaotic in your life, know that the foundational truth, the bedrock underneath it all, is that God spoke it to be fiercely good for you. And not just adequate, but majestic. And so he created us in his image. So that means that as we encounter any other human, we see them as those who are created in that image. And we don't look for the things that are broken about them. We seek out to find those places that are good, knowing that there is brokenness there. You see, when the earth was formless and in darkness and chaotic, Light shines in and reveals it as such. And then God moves to make it good. And in the same way then as we encounter others, we can walk in and see that by God's good grace and his magnifying light, we can see those places of brokenness and know that it does not have to remain. Because God wants something that is fiercely good. Not only that do we recognize our image with one another as those who are bearing the image of God, we also recognize that we have been given dominion and we are those who are called to care. Care for creation itself, that thing that is very good, but also called to care for one another. So that we're seeking out each other in community and saying, as we anticipate what is to come, as we walk in the brokenness of the world, we know that at the beginning, God took chaos and made it good. 
And so we will walk together in that way. We will walk moving in that direction. Now, why is Revelation 21 there? Well, part of it is because we're in the now and not yet. We're in the middle of the story. We're in that place that we can go back and look and recognize that creation is good. That's how it was done. It's purposeful in that way, which means we have that same purpose. But as we'll find out next week, things didn't go quite that way. That brokenness came in and the wholeness that was present within all of creation was turned askew and in on itself. But we actually see what is coming and we're anticipating that. And so revelation is good for us because we can look back and go, yep, creation was once good, but we've messed it up. So what are we going to do to get it better? Hint. Nothing. We see what God does to make it better. And we see that in that Revelation 21, 1 through 4, where God again is creating out of the chaos. Not as chaotic as it was, not as desperate as it was before creation. See, it was formless, void of all light before creation. There is light present now. There is form and purpose now. And how much more then is God in his recreation, in his restoration, are we going to see his glory and majesty? And so in Revelation, we see a new heaven and a new earth being formed. We see a new Jerusalem and we see things becoming as they were always meant to be. But we're trapped in the middle. And it turns my mind to Isaiah chapter 11. Trapped in the middle of how do we bridge this gap? How, how do I move from one who is myself trapped in the chaos? How do I move from myself being one who has the darkness that comes in? How do I, as myself, one who is broken, how, how do I step into this fiercely good thing? Well, we're reminded in Isaiah chapter 11 of this great vision of what is to come it says there shall be shall come forth a shoot from the stump of jesse a branch from his root shall bear fruit and the spirit of the lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding a spirit of counsel and might a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord and his delight shall be the fear of the lord and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked righteousness shall be his belt on his on his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins and the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and the little child shall lead them the cow and the bear shall graze their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and a weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den and they shall not be hurt or destroyed in all of my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover 
the sea. That as we rest, as we sit, as we anticipate what is to come, recognizing that we long to be that fierce goodness that God created, but brokenness seeps in. We recognize that God already has made the path with that root of Jesse, which is Jesus, who will bring ultimate shalom and peace, drawing all people together. And in that place, then we will move to what happened with God when he created. Because when God created man and woman, when God created all of the earth, when God had wrapped it up and finished and he looked out over it, he said these words, it is very good. And if we understand Tov, then we know that that meant it was majestic and mighty and whole and complete. And so I don't imagine that God, when he said it was very good, went, eh, it's very good. I would imagine in my mind's eye, if, I, if I'm allowed to imagine God in this way, looking out, seeing it, and celebrating pouring not worship out over it, but seeing the reflection of himself in it and recognizing how good it was. And in that moment, joy leaped into God's heart, into the Trinity, and said, this is fiercely good. And so for you and I who have the root of Jesse, the branch that grows up, that will bring that ultimate shalom peace. We too have the ability, even in our darkest days, to hold on to the fact that foundationally we've been made for something that is fiercely good and is in Jesus. And so we can encounter both things that are good and things that are hard with joy. Because we know what is and is to come. And that is God's steadfast love for us that's found in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, hear these words. If there is anything that's been said today that does not belong to what you want us to know, then let it burn up and go away. But what is from you, let it take root deeply in our hearts to bring you glory and to move us to do the good works you have laid out for us to do. In response, not to gain anything from you, but because you have loved us. Hear these things. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand. And